Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Matt Tebby and Christy Penley. Hey, hey. What's up, Dream Team? Oh. What's up, team. fam? What up? Uh, using what up, Ben? Slangs and things like that. Oh, Dream Team. Dream Team, fam. <laughs> Listen to you. Uh, we're just commenting on Christy's pink headphones. None of you guys can see Christy's pink headphones, but I see them. Every time we record one of these uh, intros, every time we record a podcast, uh, we see each other. Yeah. And they and often, like our guests often comment on They them. often come. They are striking, Christy. <laughs> they're very bright. They're very but bright they're and striking. they're so fun. I, they are it's, fun. It's just fun. It's like they the 13-year-old girl in me just loves uh-huh. doing this. So yeah. they, they bring a little bit of uh, brightness and, uh, and effervescence into my day, and I'm appreciative <laughs> of them. Speaking of brightness and effervescence... I don't know if that was a good transition or not, but uh, <laughs> sure. we got uh, we got somebody emailed the podcast um, a few days ago mm-hmm. and sent us a recipe. A recipe. Yeah. A recipe, Christy. It's true. Uh, what's and the recipe for? So initially, I was a little confused. I was like, "Why is he emailing a recipe?" But then I remembered that in our outro on all these podcast episodes, we threw in a little line that I thought would be funny that you can send us, you know, a suggestion for an interview, like email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Send us, you know, these things that are all normal. And then a recipe, send us a recipe, whatever. And so for Oktoberfest, um, we got a recipe uh, for pretzels. Pretzels, like the hot, you Mm -hmm. know, pretzels that you put cheese on and stuff. Yeah, you can have them with with your Oktoberfest beer. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Salt them. 
Have you? Did you try it? No, we haven't tried it yet. I, I think I'd like to, but we're going to post it. Uh, we'd like to post it um, on uh, on the podcast page. Yep. And so there'll be like a collection of recipes. If anybody else wants to email us a recipe, just email us a like a I don't know like your favorite recipe, your and then pumpkin, we'll have like a little recipe. recipe. The Gravity Leadership Podcast Cookbook. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to try it too. Although I'm gluten free, so I'm going to oh, like well, you probably try. skip the pretzels. No, yeah. no, no. They got gluten-free. Oh, you're going to try them. Like, Yeah, gluten-free, you okay. know. Well, not this recipe. Flour. Yeah. I'll just change it out. Okay. Yeah, I, I do a lot. Yeah, of like my, almond uh, flour or something? One of my daughters and my wife. Yeah. Is, Rice flour, There's like a one-to-one flour. gluten-free flour that I, we use a lot. Yeah. It's like red a combo mill. of all those things. Yeah, it's. I think oh, it's red milk. Everybody yeah, knows about great. this, except anyway. for me. Where have I been? Oh, well, I'm actually, sorry. I think ours Are is a different gluten-free? brand. Are you gluten-free? No, I'm not. That's probably why I don't know anything about it. That's why you don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. so why don't I know about this? Oh, yeah. I That's don't why. need to. Be That's thankful why. you don't know about it, actually. Yes. 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 Okay. Anyway, we'll post. Uh, we're, we're grateful to. Um, uh, who was it that sent us that? Do you remember, Matt? Remember uh, his name? Um, I can get his name if you stall for time. I was trying to remember. Can you stall right, for time? Let me stall for time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just send me a signal. Steal third? No. Stall for time. Okay. Stalling for um, time. Okay. Stalling while I st- I'm going to stall while by. While you're stalling, all of our listeners should oh. sign up to get, if they haven't already, the email that you send out on Fridays. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was going to do, Christy. I was going <laughs> to go right on. into the blurbs. It's like we're thinking the same thing. <laughs> That's good. Uh, Christy, why why should they do that? What What's the benefit of it's, signing up? You know, it's really good. There's there's links in there, um, and they're to all different things, articles and. Yeah, they are. And it's worth the read. Um, some some emails, if I'm honest, aren't worth the read. This one is. And oh. so if if our listener, if you're listening and you haven't signed up for that, I encourage you to sign up and, and get those every Friday. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And there, a lot of them are, they relate to ministry and um, sort of uh, what it's like to lead nowadays. And so they're, they're helpful for those who are leading um, faith communities and um, leading uh, as Christians uh, in our day and age, but some of them are just sort of like I don't know. They're just sort of interesting um, uh, stuff that's uh, stuff that we find interesting. Um, so it's a lot of cult, kind of cultural commentary and leadership stuff. Um, but there's also you know who knows we might put recipes in there. there we go. find a good one. Pretzel recipes. Pretzel like recipes by our friend. Did we, did we look it up, Matt? Did Walker. We find it? Paul Walker. <laughs> Sorry, Paul, Paul Walker. Walker. Yes. Paul Walker at the Meeting House in Canada. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, That's awesome. Thanks for sending us that recipe. And friends, you can send us a recipe too. Podcast at, uh, at gravityleadership.com. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get <clears throat> your syllables mixed up. I almost said uh, gravity ladership. <laughs> <laughs> That's something different. That That's something different. That, that is That's a different, different. thing. Totally is. different thing. Hmm. Uh-huh. All right. Totally different thing. Um, Yes, email us, uh, and then to sign up for the links, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. That's yes. free. Uh, also, if you uh, are in the Northwest Indiana area and you're free on the weekend of November 19th and 20th, come oh, join us. Tell them, or tell if them you're not Chesterton, in the area and, and you, wanna you fly want in, to go, come in still. Chicago or Indy. Yep. Yeah. Come in still. Uh, yeah. We're doing a discipleship workshop. It's called Follow the Way. Uh, we're going to talk about the missing ingredient in uh, most of our discipleship processes and what to do about it, what we need to uh, reckon with if we're going to follow Jesus. So we're really yes. looking forward to that. Yes. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. I know. I but am. we have a podcast, so we got to get into. Yeah, it. we do. We do. We, yeah, I think there's. I think that's all we need to blurb. We should do that for right now. <clears throat> the podcast we're getting into is with um, Daniel Bowman Jr. And uh, Matt, do you want to introduce what's what's this podcast all about? What's yeah. this, what's this guy's book all about? Yeah, what's Daniel Bowman. Yeah. yeah, he wrote a book about being uh, autistic, and he's a poet. He teaches. Yeah here in Indiana at a Christian college, and he wrote a book about being neurodivergent. And some of you know, I think I've mentioned a few times here that um, I'm, I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD, which is part of a constellation of neurodivergencies. And I felt a little sheepish, mm-hmm. like claiming that title, that, that label, because it feels like, well, I'm not I'm not that divergent, or I try to I either, I either downplay it because I don't want to... I don't want to relativize other people's suffering, or it feels like a little shameful for me. I think I struggle with both of those things, right? Mm. Um, and yeah, yeah. Of... does that make sense? Like, I I don't want to claim a yeah. minority status if I don't really if it doesn't really ap- uh, apply to me. But I also then feel a little embarrassed because I'm like, well, you know, neurodivergent sounds bad. You know, there's like a stigma attached to it. Yeah, that's not, um, that's not normal. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then he wrote this book on the spectrum, Autism, Faith, and the Gifts of Neurodiversity, which you can see there in the show notes. And uh, he opened up about being autistic and a Christian and some of the things that he's learned. And we ch- it was a wide-ranging conversation, chatted a lot about um, his life as a Christian and the things that he's had to overcome or accept in order to like live mm. faithfully as a neurodivergent person. Uh, and then we talked a little bit about how his book is really different because I think he it's part memoir, uh, part theology, like part like understanding neurodivergency, and then part prose and poetry. Like he's a really good um, mm-hmm. artist. So mm-hmm. anyway, all that to say, uh, and he was a lot of fun to talk to. So yes. <laughs> I took it personally. It was good. It was really good. I'm thinking though for like listeners that have children. Um, mm, that are mm-hmm. artistic or have some sort of um, – this could be really encouraging because mm. it was really fun to yeah. see um, just his giftings and yeah. the way that he shines, and he's really smart. And um, uh-huh. so yeah. anyway, maybe for a parent who's like struggling because their kid just got an IEP in third grade <laughs> and yep. they're like, oh, my goodness, what does this mean for my kid? Um, This could be encouraging. Yeah, good. All right, well, let's get into it. Daniel Bowman Jr., welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Uh, Dan is an author, a poet an associate professor of English at Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, um, where he co-directs the Making Literature Conference. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief of Relief, a journal of art and faith, and uh, engages in several in-person and online communities addressing neurodiversity and mental health and mentors young people on the autistic spectrum. Dan, anything else we need to know about you? Um, that, that covers the big, the big stuff. Um, <laughs> I've been at Taylor, so we're, we're getting geared up for the new school year and, uh, this will be my 
eleventh year, so I've put in a full decade at Taylor, hmm. and um, yeah, we're we're kind of taken off on that last point about mentoring young people. Uh, we have a group that I write about toward the end of the book called Send, which is a student formed and student led group. Uh, Send stands for Students for Education on Neurodiversity, and um, I'm the faculty advisor to that group. And so we've got students who are autistic. Um, ADHD and otherwise neurodivergent or folks who uh, are just interested in uh, wellness and mental health in general and want to support their peers um, and and learn more about overall mental health as college students, which is, it's a stressful time. Uh, As much fun as it can be, it can be a stressful time too. So uh, we're there to support people. Yeah. Great, Dan. Well, that's well, that's uh, you're you're talking about the topic that your book that just came out is on. The title of the book is "On the Spectrum: Autism, Faith, and the Gifts of Neurodiversity." Dan, um, I I in the last four years, I was diagnosed with ADHD. It was like the worst kept secret in my family mm-hmm. that I had ADHD, and I sort of self medicated with street Ritalin which is not illegally bought Ritalin, I mean uh, coffee, like just <laughs> copious amounts of caffeine to try to manage that. Uh, but only in the last four years have I begun to take my ADHD seriously, mm. to even know what the word neurodivergent means, and then to reckon with the cost of, being, of spending 40 plus years of my life ignoring that. Um, and so I was really excited to read your book because... Um, well, maybe before we get into the meat of it, could you just tell the story? I know you also kind of reckoned with neurodivergency late, later in life. Uh, could you tell the story just about how you came to realize and identify as autistic? Yeah, uh, it kind of makes up uh, what I call the prelude of the book, uh, this long uh, personal essay at the outset of the book. And um, as so often happens, I think... Uh, crisis can lead us to greater understanding. And so I was going through a personal crisis, a uh, relational crisis in my family, and trying to make sense of <clears throat> why I was the way I was and how I approached the world and what made me tick. And I had always got, you know, and the the ironic thing for me is I'd always gone to spiritual direction, counseling, all these things. And I've read about and used all these tools of discernment, like the Enneagram that has become so popular now and and some of these other things. So I thought I was well on my way towards self-awareness, but I was missing this enormous piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And when I started to do the research, uh, and again, I I was, uh, circumstances kind of forced me uh, to have to reckon and deal with uh, what comes next. And in fact, uh, heal from some trauma and so I, I kind of went down that rabbit hole of research, and when I encountered um, autism, or was also called Asperger's uh, at the time, everything fit. I mean, I just went down this checklist, and I thought I had I had no idea there were other people who fit this criteria. It's so oddly specific to me. I can't believe it's so insightful. This whole list, and I just went down the list, and and it fit. So then I had to you know, come to terms with that, decide to 
if I was going to be open about it, start talking about it, start writing about it. And I'm a writer. And the, the best way I know how to make sense out of something is to explore it through language. Yeah. 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 So maybe for our listeners. So, I mean, I grew up, I was an 80s kid, Dan. I'm not sure when you grew up. And uh, my entire experience in frames for autism, like most 80s kids, was framed by Rain Man. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that's it. That's the only thing we had culturally available to us right. to have any kind of reference. Um, so maybe give us an idea about what were some what were some of the things that you began, some of your characteristics that you began to identify as autism? Um, and, and then and then maybe I'll, I want to back up from there, but what were some of the characteristics that, that cinched it for you? Yeah, so um, I, I grew up on the Rain Man uh, paradigm also, I suppose. Uh, you're right, there wasn't much more out there. Uh, there's a lot more now, although it's still, you know, really developing, you know. Do they have autistic actors play these roles and autistic people, are, are they writing these shows and movies and things like that? Uh, but as far as... Um, I mean, I never could have seen myself reflected in Rain Man. So the word autism never would have come up on my radar. I was not a savant. I'm horrible at math and numbers uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's more about um, communication and sort of social um, uh, different differences, different ways of being in the world when it comes to communicating. Uh, a lot of uh, trouble with sensory processing that was always huge for me. And, you know, that starts in childhood and <clears throat> uh, that can be tough for a lot of kids. You, they might just think you're a fussy eater or something. And having grown up in the eighties also, you ate what was on your plate. And so if you had a sensory a processing issue with either a texture or a flavor or an aroma or something like that could really, um, a food could really repulse you, you know? And I didn't know why, why am I so, sensitive to all these different things. Uh, and so, yeah, the list goes on. Um, I had trouble making friends, socializing the way that other people did, um, sort of being cool. I always felt very awkward. I overthought everything. And then I also um, would get obsessed with uh, what we call special interests. You know, I would just um, pick up on something and go so deep into it that nothing could tear me away. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a lot of the sort of the main traits and characteristics. Yeah. Yeah, Christy, Ben, did you, maybe growing up, or even as you raised your kids, how has autism, has it been on your radar? Are, are you, do you intersect at all with what Dan's talking about? Um, I didn't until recently. I mean, I just sort of knew about ADHD, um, you know, um, sort of tangentially, you know, um, I just knew it was a thing, um, and had kind of a cursory understanding of what it meant and all that kind of thing. But, um, my teenage daughter actually was during the pandemic. Um, I think the disruption to her schedule, she's like uh, 17 years old and the disruption to her schedule caused us to realize that something something different was going on than just normal. Um, and, you know, going through a pandemic as a high schooler is hard type stuff. And she was actually diagnosed with ADHD, um, this year or maybe early last year. I can't remember, but, um, it was, uh, it was a, it was a completely new world. It still feels like a completely new mm. world, um, to try to understand what's going on for her and for her as well. Like she's, 
she's had to learn how to, um, cause she, I, I think, you know, our best guess is that she just masked it really well, um, up until that point, yeah. you know, just sort of learn to kind of get along. But, um, but it's been really helpful for her to, to have this diagnosis because it's helped us to understand what's going on with her. Uh, but it's also helping her to understand what's going on with herself. Yeah. Like she, she used to just think, oh, I'm just, I'm just dumb or I'm just lazy or I'm just, you know, she would have these stories that she'd tell herself about some of these things. And it was like, eventually it was, it was really helpful uh, for us to learn. A lot. Like she actually has a neurodivergency or a neurodiversity. There's something happening different in her brain than the rest of the brains in our family. Um, and that's, you know, it's been challenging to navigate because, you know, um, it just is uh, those differences, but, um, it's been really helpful, but it wasn't on my radar like the, like it is now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, sure. I appreciate that point a lot about, um, that it, it redefines the way that you think about yourself and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. researchers have always said when I work with adults with autism and I ask them to talk about their childhood and talk about the way they were, they, they say things like, I just felt like an alien. I thought I was just dumb. Mm-hmm. I thought, because if you don't have a name, you default to, I must just be worse than everybody. I'm just no good at this life right. thing. <laughs> and so when you have a right. name for it, you realize you think, it's just I must a different be better brain. than everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it, yeah, it, you find out right. that your brain works differently and it's not your fault. And that's so empowering. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a really concise way of saying it. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that we that you're on this podcast, Dan, because um, I have a son who I've actually ask the doctor, please test him for being autistic. Mm-hmm. I, like I have, I have five kids and um, there's just something different about one of mine that I can't put a finger on. Mm. And um, I, we had him tested and then we had him tested like two years later. And right now nothing has come through. And, and yet I, I'm, I'm just curious, like it seems as though there's a spectrum, right? Um, and so maybe he's not testing um, where the test meets on the spectrum, but as his mama, I still think he's on the spectrum. Mm. I don't know if you can speak to that at all. Yeah. Um, um, pro- probably trust your gut. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, when I started going down that path um, toward self-diagnosis first, because I began to understand, okay, this lines up really well with me, but there are different... Um, manifestations because it is a spectrum and the spectrum is not um it's not like okay at down here is low functioning uh very autistic people and up here is sort of just mildly autistic very high functioning people it's not really like that instead there are all these areas uh language acquisition um i have college students who are autistic and they're very very smart um and some of them didn't speak until they were four and they had all kinds of tests done. Everybody was worried. Everyone was so nervous and upset and everything. Um, I didn't, I, I spoke early, you know, I didn't have that mm-hmm. trouble. Um, so there's all kinds of different areas that you have to touch on with language and communication, social issues. Um, ben mentioned, uh, pointed out the, the a lack of structure or a taking away of routine uh, will throw people yeah. for a loop um, who are on the spectrum or, or who are neurodivergent in any way. Um, so all these areas will hit some people really, really hard. Others, um, will it be hit hard in certain areas, but not other areas? Sure. Um, yeah, e- even w- it's 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 tough to diagnose. Um, even within one area like sensory processing, 
somebody might have a lot of trouble with noises. It's pretty common, you know. So you may see noise canceling headphones on a young autistic child because uh, mm-hmm. the noises are upsetting, and we hear them at louder frequencies and pitches and stuff. Um, others may not have that, uh, but they'll have uh, visual issues. You know, if there's, mm. I have a bit of that stuff. I can't focus if there's a little pile of clutter across the room that no one else even notices half the time. <laughs> so we're all different. Um, and the saying is that if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Uh, because, you know, while we, <laughs> while we hover around these, these areas of, uh, um, of, of, neurodivergence, it's different for everybody. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Dan, you spend the first part of your book talking about how we have unfortunately pathologized some um, of the traits that make up the autistic spectrum. And and there's words that are commonly, you you make a list of words like awkward, odd, weird, um, lacking, inappropriate, poor, abnormal, like all these words. And I wonder then, could you describe, your, your title talks about the gifts of neurodivergency. And this is a shift I think culturally we're making. But what what is it, how do we reframe this um, being on the spectrum as a gift yeah. rather than a deficiency? And maybe if you have personal ways that, like personal artifacts from your life, for instance, the clutter, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or other things where you've gone from seeing pathologizing language to gift language. Yeah. Um, uh, well, let me think about how to approach that. First, first off, the the title um, was somewhat uh, put together more by the publisher than than by me. <laughs> so, so but so a lot of people are are, um, are asking me about the gifts of neurodiversity. I, say, I don't. Sometimes I just say I don't know. I didn't make up that phrase. But um, <laughs> but the, but you're right there. It's actually come as a really good challenge to me because uh, then I have to, I do have to think about that. And I do work very hard to reframe that conversation at the outset of the book to say, look, do you know how that feels when you're reading an article about who you are and it says inappropriate contact, odd behavior, strange, unusual posture, and all these things? And I'm like, am I that freakish? Like, I don't feel like I am. I feel mm. like I'm just uh, trying mm. to be in the world like everybody else. Um, and so to change that from a pathology or, or deficit model to say, well, look, we communicate differently. Um, if we were face-to-face right now, I would not be sustaining eye contact. I would initially make it, and and then I would look away, and I'd probably be stimming in some way, you know, or something like that. Um, 
stimming is soothing yeah, anxiety, Yeah, just like a right? self-regulatory behavior. Um, sometimes children will, like, they're excited, flap their hands, or um, sometimes people play with a little object. Um, yeah, spinners, all that things sort like of that. stuff. And people do different different kinds of things. Some are very pronounced, and that's when they tend to freak out parents, you know, who don't uh, understand that that behavior actually has a, a good purpose, that it's regulatory for their emotions. Um so they sometimes they'll send them into therapy basically just to try to eliminate the the behavior. But um, yeah, to go back to the gifts of neurodiversity, I think um, you know I, I wrote this book and it's it's a bit of a collage. It's not a straight linear narrative. It's all these different pieces put together. Some are epistolary pieces where I'm writing in the form of a letter to somebody. Some there are found pieces. There are bits of research dropped in and analyzed. There's poetry. There are traditional essays. Um, I think a gift of neurodiversity is maybe uh, assembling my work differently in a way that fits with, with my style of thinking. Uh, and in the, in the process, maybe making a work of art that's, that's unique or that's good. Um, there's a book called Writers on the Spectrum that I read, and I talk about this a lot in the book. This is a meaningful book to me uh, by Julie Brown. And um, she talks about um, the short story writer, the American writer Sherwood Anderson, and he's credited with inventing the cycle of short stories where it's not a novel and it's not just a book of different short stories. It's a cycle of short stories where some of the same characters appear in different stories. And, and he's thought to have been autistic. And they said, well, that's the way his brain worked. He didn't want to make a novel because it didn't work for him. Didn't want to make a bunch of discrete, different short stories. That didn't quite work for him. So he made up this new style to fit what he was trying to accomplish artistically. Um, so that's an example, I think, of a gift of neurodivergence. Yeah. Yeah, this is so encouraging to me, Dan. When I was reading your book, um, I'm noticing how a lot of the 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 constellation of my ADHD <clears throat> symptoms or characteristics, how I didn't have a framework for them neurobiologically, and so I the story that the story that um, non neurodivergent people tell about these characteristics is that it is some kind of moral yeah, story, right? Right. So then I internalized a junk ton yep. of shame. Mm -hmm about being yep. ADHD. Um, in, in my impulse control was off the charts bad. And I would do something and immediately I would think, why, why, did, I, yep. why did I do that? And it would, I have no idea why I did it, but I would be in tons yep. of trouble and everybody would tell me how awful it was. And you, you, yep. you know what I'm saying? Uh, and, so, and so there was actually no other reason outside of you're yeah. just a bad kid. Um, and I hear you saying about that, maybe not so much behavior-wise for you, but more of like, you don't, you're yeah. odd. You don't fit the norm. Yeah? Can you talk about, I mean, you talk a little bit about <laughs> autistic kids are like a bullseye for bullies. Oh, yeah. Um, but how did that, how did that, I don't know, how did that impact your your growing up and your own self-conception as a, as a Christian? Yeah, um, that's the thing about the power of figuring stuff out later on. Uh, is that you get to go back and reframe your past through a new lens of what you understand now about yourself. 
And so, yeah, I, I was definitely um, picked on and, and vulnerable because um, I lacked the social cognition that other people are born with. So I was trying to figure out social situations um, intellectually. I was trying to just put put all the pieces together and, and, and try to work through it, whereas other people, it just came, it came naturally to them. Uh, that that skill set. So um, yeah, it, it puts you in a vulnerable position, especially uh, when you're a kid and kids are mean. Um, it can be tough. And when you're growing up in the church um, as well, there's this other layer to it where, you know, if you have an extroverted pastor who likes knocking on doors and handing out tracts, and that scares the daylights out of you because you're autistic and you're not socially equipped to do something like that very well. Um, you might think it's just because you don't have enough faith, you know? And so that's, it's, again, it becomes a moralized, uh, vision for, for what you are when in fact, um, it's basically neurological. You know, at Gravity, we talk a lot about being compassionately curious um, as we notice things in mm. ourselves. And, and, and what I hear you um, maybe alluding to is we need to be compassionately curious about people who um, are different than us in yeah. that way and not judge and, and not say this is a moral issue. Just, um, you know, ask, ask questions and, and be compassionate. And I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm speaking out of conviction right now to my own son, right? Because I, he does things and I'm, just honestly not very compassionate towards him. I just want him to get mm. in line and do the thing yeah. and put his shoes on, get in a car. And and um, if I saw him through a different lens, I think um, I would love him more holistically. And it's so, it's mm. so hard when you're close to the person. And so I think, you know, yeah. it just makes it tricky. And family dynamics are all very tricky too. Um, I have my older brother, uh, who I'm fairly sure is neurotypical, um, you know, is much more like my parents. And so he was a, he was a, a known quantity, you know, they understood what he was going to do and how he was going to act. And they, they felt safe and comfortable with that. And then I wasn't, I was just different. And so different equals bad a lot of the time. And that's, it's very, very tough. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate that. I think, um, that insight about being, um, compassionately curious or curiously compassionate um to 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 give each other the, the the benefit of the doubt i guess you know yeah yeah and i think uh just books like yours dan that name um name difference without attaching pejorative or pathological labels to it um increases our increases our empathy increases our capacity to connect with and notice difference without eliminating it or judging it or yeah. condemning it. Um, this is actually, and this is actually a controversial part of our culture right now. I think there's this, I don't, have you noticed this war on empathy? There's a war against like social emotional. Yeah. Work. I just saw something um, on this the other day. It's nothing more than like a meme or something, but uh, you know, um, it was something something about, you know, how Satan works through the sin of compassion or something like that. And I thought, look, I know a lot of people who 
have had a tough go of it in life by virtue of others treating them uh, without compassion. I don't know anyone who's gotten really screwed up because they got too much compassion. Uh, it just, it's just not there for me. So I could be wrong, but yeah. Um, I think we need a world more of it, not less. Yeah. 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 I, I guess speaking as somebody who's responsible for things. So, so as a, as a pastor, so Ben and I co-pastor, Christy's a pastor and, um, Ben and I co-lead gravity. Christy helps lead cohorts for gravity. Um, Anytime you're trying to establish, um, uh, you're trying to establish a culture, and then there's sort of free radicals in the culture, right? So it's a time of it's a time of quiet at the beginning of our service, and somebody's making noises, or now we're praying still and somebody's stimming, right? There's a sense in which, for somebody without empathy and compassion, uh, it's a like being neurodivergent could be evidence that you're a bad leader. You could tell yourself stories, uh, you know, I'm a bad leader. Mm. That's why this person isn't following, yeah. following the social norms or, um, or, uh, um, right. they're going to ruin this or, um, they're doing it wrong. Or, um, this is evidence of spiritual immaturity. All this stuff gets, gets projected onto someone based upon the norm of, like you said, neuro, like typical being having a terp- typical neuro neurology. And I think that just having another frame to yeah. permit right. difference yeah. without having to judge, control, fix is like if I could give a gift mm. to the American church, <laughs> yeah. it would be that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, some people have um, uh, kind of. Um, you know, gone beyond just the talk about autism and and uh, neurobiology and neurodivergence, and said, in, in the grander sense, in the larger sense, we're just learning more about other people and how people's brains work. And when we do that, we tend to demand conformity a little bit less, and that frees people up to be themselves uh, in ways that are whole and healthy. I think, generally speaking. Hmm. Dan, in addition to talking about. Um, coming to grips with your autism and learning how to navigate that as a Christian and as a as an artist, you do talk about art, and you talk about um, I think something really interesting. You you have this section of your book where you talk about what makes something good, um, <laughs> and what makes something bad when it comes yeah. to art, and <laughs> what it, what's the difference between good Christian art and bad Christian art, and I'm. Uh, I'm wondering if you could help us tease that out because I this is near and dear to my heart. There's mm. there's a lot of bad Christian art out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I appreciate you bringing up that part of the book because um, you know this is a, a somewhat of a collage uh, or hodgepodge of a book. It's a memoir in essays, and I and I I don't just stick to the topic of autism. And so, if there are people who are looking at it just for the autistic stuff. Um, you know, they may skip over these other parts, but, but, um, the, the intersection of art and Christian faith is super important to me. Uh, and I've done a lot of thinking about it and I, and I teach about it. And I think probably uh, a phrase that I've used for a long time that, that still, uh, applies to my way of thinking is that good art should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, (laughs) And I think 
<laughs> sometimes bad Christian art, so to speak. Like, let's say a, a, a Christian romance novel, just to pick on a genre that I literally know nothing about, but I assume it's bad. <laughs> um, let's say there's a bad, a cheesy Christian romance novel. I think that does the first objective, you know, it accomplishes the first thing. If you feel afflicted in life, and we all will, if you're suffering, it may bring comfort to you, you know, because there's this kind of certainty about it. Uh, it's formulaic, you know, it's predictable, you know what's going to happen, and it's couched in terms that, that aren't going to challenge you in any way. But it doesn't do that second part, you know. Um, it doesn't shake you out of your comfort. And I think in the U.S., mm. many of us are, are too comfortable too much of the time. Mm. Um, so I mm. think of, let's say, a film uh, like Hotel Rwanda, if you've ever seen it. That mm. is not something that you put on casually on Friday night to relax after a long week. That's a work mm. of art where you have to go in intentionally saying, I'm, I'm going to... Um, I'm willing to sit with people in their pain, brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering in unimaginable ways. Uh, so it's a work of art that, uh, yes, it can bring you some comfort in your affliction, uh, like watching a film can calm you or, or reading a book can calm you, but can also push you and challenge you and remind you that people all around the world are suffering every day. And, yeah. and the least we can do is pay attention. Mm. That's good. Oh, yeah. My wife and I had Hotel Rwanda on our list of movies to watch for over a year. Mm. And, you know, Friday night came and it was always like, yeah. should we watch Hotel Rwanda? <laughs> <laughs> ah, you know, <laughs> that's, that's just it. And so, I, yeah, I, and I try not to be too tough on people about that because yeah. I'm the same yeah. way. I, I don't want, after a long week, I want to watch whatever is the silliest, yeah. you know, most comforting thing yeah. I can find and just, just with the laugh yeah. track on, you know, I, yeah. I grew up in the eighties. Yeah. It's the canned laughter. That's yeah. makes me feel Give me the you know, comfortable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but you know, other times we need to, we need to um, be willing to be afflicted in our, in our state of overcomfort. And I think that's what good art can do. It can push us. Yeah. You brought up hotel Rwanda. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. I hope it doesn't break off and I fall <laughs> to my death. But it sounds like you would hold then a, a position that you don't have to be a Christian to create good Christian art. Yeah, I think so. Um, that reminds me of um, a line by uh, Richard Foster, I believe, who wrote The Celebration of Discipline. Mm -hmm. um, he said in an essay at one point on this very topic, someone was asking him, you know, what makes good Christian art or something along those lines. And he, he said, I'll probably get it wrong because I don't have the quote in front of me, but he says something like, um, any work that drills down into the subterranean chambers of the human soul um, can be art that Christians can grow from, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so I think, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, there are people, there are writers who profess Christian faith like a Marilyn Robinson or uh, or many uh, Roman Catholic writers and others, and then there are there are plenty who don't, and I still learn a lot from them. Yeah, yeah. who who are some of your favorite artists, Dan? Just for uh, those maybe who want to explore uh, the writings or um, you know visual art or even cinema from people that you feel like are able to take us down into those chambers. Um. 
yeah, again, thanks for asking. I don't get to talk about art <laughs> or literature or the fine arts or anything all that much right now. I'm talking, uh, trying to hash out a lot of autism stuff uh, when I do these. Um, for me, I always say this uh, to, to begin with, um, what sort of drew me in to the power of art was when I was in college and I took a class on the 19th century British novel. So starting with Jane Austen and then working our way up through the Victorians like George Eliot, uh, Thomas Hardy, and uh, the Brontes. Those books um, uh, sort of coincide with what we sometimes have called the, the modern psychological story. So um, you're getting inside the secret, secret innermost hearts and minds of these characters uh, with great psychological depth, um, you know, pre-Freud and pre-Carl yeah. uh, yeah, Jung yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So they just had these great insights about what it means to be human and what makes people tick and uh, and everything. And so those I still look at those examples and I still watch a lot of those adaptations of, of those great uh, Victorian masterpieces. Um, nowadays, I like people like um, Elizabeth Strout is one of my favorite novelists. I read a lot of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, the other day I was on... A, uh, I did an event with the British writer, Catherine May. Uh, she wrote a book that became a New York times bestseller this past year called wintering. Um, she's an autistic writer who I, I'd love to just put her name out there. She doesn't profess Christian faith insofar as I know, but, um, profoundly smart when it comes to insights about what it means to be human. And, and, um, so she's written a couple excellent, excellent books. It's hmm. hmm. good. Ben, you, you've read, uh, you wrote a book. You wrote. You read wrote a, book a book recently. <laughs> I was like, were, "Did I write a book?" <laughs> you were telling me about. Sleep? What was that book that you read that you you thought uh, gave you the Jesus tinglys that deep down in your heart? Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember you talking about this. Actually. Oh my gosh, guys! Was it <laughs> my was mind it is the blanking? Be- one of the was best it? books that you was it the read Octavia recently? Butler book? It made you think. Uh, well, Octavia. That did not give me tinglys. That gave me uh, <laughs> clinical depression. No, I'm, joke, I'm joking about that. It was hard to read. Uh, her stuff is pretty bleak. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember, guys. I, I may. Mm. Uh, was it on a podcast? Maybe it'll come to me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it was or not. I. I was uh, it a novel? I don't remember. Yeah, I thought so. But I do think, <laughs> just in what you're talking about, Dan, I would say there is a huge need for good Christian art. I'm so tired. Yeah. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but I'm so tired of mediocrity. Right. Yeah. And um and I think we mm. as Christians, we can like go to those places that are mm-hmm. deeper and I but why we don't? I mean, it's just it's a crime because mm. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, I think So, pe- if we have a listener out there who wants <laughs> to be a good Christian artist, I'm saying go for yeah. it. Yeah. People maybe I maybe fear of asking uh, the hard questions and, and, you know, it's easier just to fit in to the community, to the yeah. church. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and as soon as somebody starts asking the hard questions, they'll have, they'll gain some fans and then they'll also gain some critics. And so it's, it's tough yeah. to do. Yeah. Well, it's vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I think, and, and, and it's partly because the church has been uh, historically so, uh skeptical of art i mean preachers in the 19th century thought that novels were evil and you shouldn't read them uh or when i was a kid in the 1980s you know um uh 
rock music or you know glam rock or whatever that was yeah or rap or anything that wasn't you know um the gage mullins and (laughs) michael w smith or whatever was not bad it was not good it wasn't it wasn't christian um but it was good there's a lot of good art being made (laughs) yeah a lot of it was good yeah was was it piranesi guys well i read that book too yeah that's why i was thinking it may have not been that one but i really like that one yeah i don't know if you've read that one I recently, at a library sale, we have a library in town, Dan, you might like this, and they they put uh, volumes that they're no longer going to be in circulation, they put them in a little sale, in this little Mm -hmm. side room, and the books are like a quarter for paperbacks and 50 cents for hardbacks, so I recently uh, repurchased, um, well, yeah, I purchased for the first time The Road by Cormac McCarthy, um, which I'd read in one sitting uh, 14 years ago, and I haven't read since because that book did me dirty. Yeah, uh, that, that book that book grabs you and yep. doesn't let you go. <laughs> but it, but it it uh, and Cormac isn't a Christian, um, but that book is profoundly human, yeah. like in a way that few books are. So that, the book came to mind when I asked you the question. I thought, um, I, my, so I so just a quick story maybe to close. I, I read that book while my wife was pregnant with our son, who's now thirteen, mm-hmm. and my book and my son saw me buy that book. And he said, "Hey, why did you why did you buy this?" And I said, "Well, because it's one of the best books I've ever read." Um, and he said, "Can I read it?" <laughs> and I said, "Not until you're 18." <laughs> um, and then he said, "What's it about?" I said, "Well, it's about a dad trying to keep his 13 year old son alive." Yeah. Um, and I think it's a it's a book about hope and evil and sacrificial love and human. Uh, the capacity for human destruction, but also the yeah. capacity for human love, yeah. and it and it uh, it it doesn't get saccharine or preachy, right? Mm-hmm. right? There's no easy. There's no like. Uh, there's no happy. End. There's no Uncle Jesse sitting on the bed with DJ at the end of Full <laughs> House, you know, wrapping everything up in a nice bow. But anyway, I yeah. I, I just thought like at some point, I actually would like to read that book with my mm. son, and have a deep conversation about what is it? What is love? Yeah. Absolutely. Hope? That's that's the kind of book. Um, I actually uh, have a, a sort of fraught relationship with that book, too. It's, it's really, really poignant and so dark. Um, I was telling somebody not too long ago, I listened to a lot of audiobooks, and I had listened to The Road mm-hmm. on audiobook years back. Some years later, I was listening to, I, I think it was um, Plain Song by Kent Harriff, which is also a great novel. And something happened to me when the book came on. I was in the car and I had to pull over. I had this visceral reaction. Then I realized a little while later that night, what happened was it was the same voice talent who had read The Road that I had listened to a couple years oh. earlier. And and I associated that voice so heavily with that book that to hear it again in a different context when I wasn't expecting it uh, was really overwhelming. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's the kind of wow. thing that you know I think it afflicts uh, the comfortable and 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 can comfort the afflicted in a way because we're learning and we're growing and we're being pushed and challenged. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, Dan, we could talk literature for uh, hours. <laughs> I'm sure you could too. I see um, your bookshelf Start there a whole behind new you. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, we could. Um, I really appreciate the time you spent with us. The work you do in this book. Again, the title is called "On the Spectrum: Autism, Faith, and the Gifts of Neurodiversity." Um, 
I just think there are so many myths and so many myth under, misunderstandings about autistic yeah. people and autism. And as places, I mean, churches, we desire to be, um, we desire to meet people where they're at. We say this all yeah. the time. We desire to be hospitable. We desire to be a place of welcome and of extending the, the love of Christ. And I think that the more we understand about the people we want to welcome, the more faithful we'll be in that intention. Mm. And, and your book helps, I think, connect us to a, a group of people that uh, maybe, well, let's just say, the church can improve mm. in being a place of, a hospital place for them. So thank you for your work. Thanks for the courage to share your story, uh, Dan. Yeah. Um, if people, uh, Thanks yeah, for ahead. wrapping it up that way. I appreciate that so, so much. I think that, that, that if the book can help someone love their neighbor, uh, whether it's their autistic neighbor or someone else who maybe is just a little... Uh, a little different. <laughs> I think that's that would be the greatest thing. Yeah. Dan, if people are interested uh, to learn more about you or maybe read things, other things you've written, where can they do that? Is there anywhere they can find you on the sure. internet? Sure. Uh, com. Uh, I just got a refresh not too long ago, so it's got it's more sort of linked to this new book. Uh, I published a book of poems a few years back that nobody – no one ever read. Uh, so, so if they want to read that, <laughs> that would be great. Um, you know, and I, and I have some other stuff happening too. I just wrote a piece for Sojourners uh, that was out last mm-hmm. week and some other things. Um, I, I love actually being online and talking to people. So if anyone wants to find me on Twitter or uh, Instagram, it's also just at Daniel Bowman Jr. Great. Great. Well, um, Ben, can we track down that Sojourners article and put it in the show notes? Is that, is that possible? I shall try. All right. Mm-hmm. I will, Great. I will make my best attempt. Dan, Dan if you, you think so of it much. and know the link, <laughs> Absolutely. you can send it to us. Too. Either way. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dan. Have a, have Thanks, a great I day. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.